Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. Every week, we have on cool people from the crypto world to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. Before we hop into the show, I want to give a quick thank you to the first sponsor of On the Other Side, Rabbit Hole. Rabbit Hole is allowing users to earn crypto while they explore the weird world of Web3, guiding new users down the crypto rabbit hole in a curated way to make sure that people coming into the space are not only using positive sum protocols, but are also starting to build their on-chain resume as they do it. So the longer term vision for Rabbit Hole is building essentially the open credentialing system for Web3. To build that credentialing system, it's important that they're decentralized. And so the Pathfinder program is paving the way for decentralizing Rabbit Hole and creating an open system built by the community, not by a single team. If you're interested in learning more about Rabbit Hole, check out Rabbit Hole at rabbithole.gg. You can also check them out on Twitter, rabbithole underscore gg. And if you're interested in learning more about the Pathfinder program, which is the first step to the Rabbit Hole DAO, you can check it out at rabbithole.gg slash pathfinder. All right, let's hop into the show. I am here with Dee, who is the co-founder of Zora. Dee, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no doubt. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Dee. Thanks for having me, Chase. I am super excited to chat about a bunch of different things around NFTs and DAOs and culture and all of that. Before we dive into it, do you want to give a little bit of background on you, how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole, and then maybe a little bit about what you're working on at Zora? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, like I said, my name is Dee. Um, I'm the co-founder of Zora. I actually got into crypto in what I would say is like 2016. I was working as a consultant for KPMG, pushing papers, doing audits, all of the the box ticking that needs to happen for big banks and financial institutions to operate. And I started hearing about Bitcoin and Ethereum from a few friends who were working there. I really dove in in 2017 when I started working at Coinbase. I actually was like one of the first internal auditors there. It taught me a lot. I didn't get to do too much of like the hands-on product work, but I got a chance to see the whole org. And so I learned a lot about how like crypto teams functioned. I learned about how they shipped new asset editions and like all that kind of bells and whistles and jazz. And so that was cool. Did that for about two to three years. After which in 2020, uh, early 2020, I left Coinbase and founded Zora, the NFT marketplace protocol for the internet with uh, my co-founder Jacob and a few other friends from Coinbase. We started off selling physical goods as like fungible tokens, uh, redeemable fungible tokens. And quickly after a few months of work pivoted into NFTs, launching our protocol in early 2021. And since I've just been really working at uh, building what we call uh, a hyperstructure, which is a piece of permissionless public infrastructure that is free for anyone to use and build on top of, as well as pretty free to maintain for all intents and purposes. Uh, Jacob has talked a lot about this in an essay that he recently published. You guys should check it out, jacob.energy. But yeah, so like we're working on building the NFT marketplace protocol for the internet. We believe it should be free and public for everyone to use. Um, It's taken a lot of design thinking at the protocol level, as well as just iterations to get it right. But we feel like we finally got it right with a V3 launch. And so, yeah, we're pretty excited. That's super cool. And I will definitely link to Jacob's essay in the show notes. When you talk about free for everyone or creating this like public good type tool that Zora is becoming, I'm curious how you think about the relationship in Web3 between like things that are free and things that are financialized, because it feels like it's a weird dynamic where we're like, we love public goods and we want things to be free, but we also 
have everything that's sort of like owned and has a price tag on it. I'm curious how you think about that relationship. Yeah, for sure. It's pretty interesting when we think about free access to very valuable infrastructure. I think if you think about protocols, whether they're like the Uniswaps of the world or even the Zoras of the world, right? Like in a in an ideal state, you know, 10 years from now, there's probably a Uniswap type of protocol or a Zora type of protocol that's leading the charge for both fungible and then non-fungible hyperstructures or pieces of infra. And I think we would posit at Zora that those things can run for free forever and never have to charge a fee and still be extremely valuable to govern and to own. You know, governance tokens represent ownership in the protocol. And so those things can both be extremely valuable, they can be ownable, and they can still be free to use. And so I'm pretty excited at, I guess, like the tension between the two becoming public discourse for DAOs, for protocols, and informing our thinking going forward on how we operate hyperstructures in Web3 ecosystems. Again, I think that these things could be free forever to use, and there's no reason for us to charge extractive fees. In fact, you can actually build expansive fees into these pieces of infrastructure. I think Uniswap did that with LP fees. I think Zora is now doing that with a myriad of new business models that we've created around the finders fee, as well as host fees for new marketplaces. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities to build value accretive or expansive fees into free public infrastructure. Um, And those fees actually can become incentives or drivers for people to want to build on and adopt those pieces of infrastructure. I do think that we're in the early days of those tensions, um, but we're starting to see them play out in pretty interesting conversations and design decisions like what we've done with the Zora protocol. I love this idea of extractive versus expansive fees. Can you Mm -hmm. talk more about what that actually means? Like what's being extracted versus created from a value perspective? Yeah, for sure. So extractive fees to me are more of the rent sinking activities. If I'm charging you rent for using my marketplace, i.e. I'm charging you, and I don't mean to to demonize curation in any way, but if I'm like upcharging you or overcharging you this fee for, you know, not doing too much work to share your new NFTs with an amazing collector base, et cetera, et cetera, adding real value there, that can feel like an extractive fee. We saw, you know, Christie's catch a little bit of heat for this, or I don't know if it was Christie's or Sotheby's when they did one of their larger NFT auctions. And I think they were charging about like a 15 or 20% fee. And there was some public backlash from, I think there's particularly a few punks who were saying something along the lines of, are they really adding that much curatorial value or introducing these new buyers, et cetera, or collectors to these sellers or adding value to Web3? And so that fee felt extractive. An expansive fee is something that actually, one, it promotes like a healthy or productive action on the protocol. I think in the case of Uniswap, it's like bringing liquidity like to the protocol. In the case of Zora and the finders fee, it could be like adding distribution for NFTs or finding new sellers or buyers, excuse me. And so that could also be value accretive to the protocol, but the fee actually goes to the person who helps with the distribution. No different than a Uniswap where the fee actually went to the person who's providing the liquidity. And so those aren't so much like, rent-seeking fees or things that are trying to extract value from the users of the protocol, but they're instead creating business models within the ecosystem for people to benefit from. And I think that sort of fee model can actually incentivize and attract people to these protocols and create a bit more of a lock-in for participants in the network. I love that. And it kind of reminds me of a tweet that you had about like 2021 being the year that NFTs ate a lot of IP and sales and merch and all that kind of stuff. And this idea that 2022 
could be the year that DAOs actually eat a lot of the traditional institutions that are doing like sales and distribution and all of this stuff. Maybe uh-huh. uniquely enabled by some of what you're talking about where you have these like expansive fees, uh-huh. which is interesting because it feels like right now a lot of those institutions are rent-seeking or more extractive. We've gotten to that point because they're so set in their ways. But mm-hmm. I'm curious how you see that evolution happening and what sort of sparked that that thought. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess the origin of the thought was watching the success of brands like Basey, which I think could be analogous to like the, uh, the Supreme of Web3. The partnerships that they're doing, how extensive the brand has permeated into our actual reality, whether that's in the form of parties or events or merchandise, Depending on which camp you're from, like some may argue it's becoming a bit oversaturated or played out with like the celebrity endorsements. Some may argue that it's turning into a Veblen good. Either way, it's like starting to have this sort of like luxury flex appreciation to it. And so just watching that meteoric rise of that particular type of execution, if you will, in the NFT space sparked the thought that like, wow, we could really see this take off as like the dominant model for retail in the metaverse, if you will, or like community access in the metaverse. I'm also really excited for other teams like what Bobby Hundreds and the like are doing with the Atom Bomb Squad and the success that they've had in making it like a, a wider distribution for a project and like really capturing more of their community. I think that's super exciting too. But just seeing Base C turn into essentially the supreme of Web3 was was fascinating through 2021. And so looking ahead to 2022, I think that a lot of those teams that have created, and it's not just basically, it could be a lot of the other profile pick projects, but a lot of them have created and captured enormous amounts of value in the form of Ethereum, whether that's from royalties, from primary mints, from sales, et cetera, et cetera. I think how they utilize that value or how they deploy that capital going forward is going to be the test of whether or not they can turn into these media conglomerates, these massive gaming companies or these massive entertainment brands. And I think that's like the opportunity that's at foot in 2021 for many of them. You look at an organization, even like a nouns DAO, cranking out one noun a day, um, selling for like a pretty high value, right? But I mean, they've captured almost 19,000 ETH inside of that treasury and have the vision and the appetite to really pursue ambitious, you know, media opportunities and advertising opportunities. And I think that sort of capital mixed with that sort of branding and that sort of community energy can create a combustible moment in our space for DAOs or for NFT brands and, and really for CCO at large. It's interesting too, because I feel like there is this question of, who is actually doing the work as this expands out? Like for profile picture NFTs, I think it makes oh. a lot of sense to have people who are like sort of core contributors maybe to the community, like really pushing the IP of PFPs. Yeah. Where I think my brain goes and where I start to get into this territory of what's actually going to happen as this permeates more mainstream creators and brands is... Mm-hmm. Who's actually managing these things? So like if there's an artist that's releasing NFTs and and potentially even like a collective of artists, yeah. is it the artists themselves who are doing the work and pushing a lot of these things out? Do you see it being more of like fans or an audience? Like I'm curious how you think about that relationship between who's doing the work and then I guess the brand itself. I don't know if that makes sense, but no, I feel like there's a weird sense. tension there. No, it makes total sense. I think that's probably the most exciting feature of NFTs and of CCO and of DAOs, right? Is there's no singular entity that's doing the work. Obviously, you have some collections which have a founder, an artist, they have an owner in a sense, and they own that IP. I think that's okay. But the projects that are most exciting to me are the ones where 
the IP is launched no different than the hyperstructure. It's launched in this permissionless, free-to-use way that the ecosystem can now benefit from. It has to be deployed exactly one time. So like in the case of NounsDAO, you drop the art or deploy that art on chain kind of one time, but then anyone in the world can use it as much as they want. And so when you ask who's doing the work, I think it's a combination of obviously the people who first founded and started the project just because they have to get it through the gestation period, if you will, to where the community can now own it. But when you have a, a brand hyperstructure in the form of CCO, the whole community can do that work. Like you could see a, a riff on a toad or you could see a riff on a noun that could take off and be super successful and proliferate the meme even more so than the core team could have. I think that could be the case for many CCO projects. Blitmap is another example where that community has seen things from crypto teddies with Numo. We've obviously seen the Blitnots. We've seen so many different derivatives that have made the ecosystem feel much more expansive and imaginative than I think just Dom could have. That's super dope. Um, and so like, I think it's anyone who's excited about the project, anyone who's creating the project, anyone who is collecting an NFT project or who's buying into or joining a DAO or you know, aligning themselves to whatever that community pursuit is, I think they're doing the work. And them all coming together is like this collective creation of Web3. And I think that's like the magic and the secret sauce of the whole thing. It's interesting because it feels like a lot of it is creating that container for collective creation, which I think Dom has done really well. Hell yeah, Dom is, Dom is prolific. There's some Web3 devs that I could say he parallels and that would be like a whole nerdy thing. It could be like, he's the Andre of NFT. <laughs> you know what I'm saying or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, some days I'm like, man, is on like the Steph Curry run. Like he's in, <laughs> dude is in his bag. Like the, the, also like how beautiful is Web3? And I like, there's a tension here that I think I don't want to go down the rabbit hole to talk about, but like that, like devs, can go on runs where they ship so many different products and pieces of infrastructure and like open source tooling. Like I'm like, that's a pretty beautiful space to build and operate in when you can, when you have these pieces. And I think that's like the beauty of hyperstructures, right? When you have these pieces of permissionless and public infrastructure that you can build with in these communities, you can build alongside, you can build a lot. And I think we see guys like Dom building an insane amount of super high quality and high caliber work. Yeah, it's super dope. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that in some ways open source did this, but I feel like the monetization approaches in Web3 tend to make a lot more sense, whereas open source, maybe this is wrong, but tends to have to deal with this paradigm of either not being funded enough and just having people do it out of volunteerism or having stuff that's sort of bankrolled by a larger company like Facebook or Microsoft or it actually becomes extractive and becomes something that is not as open or something like that. And so, I don't know, maybe that's wrong, but that kind of feels like also what makes this unique is that like value alignment. In open source, and I'm no like te technological historian, I don't even, I'm, <laughs> I'm an amateur <laughs> technologist <laughs> at best, I joke, but it felt like open source wasn't ownable in the same way, to your point. And I think that now that you're able to really own in the upside of what is essentially an open source project and really benefit from people's speculation on like how far and wide and how impactful this thing can be, especially if you're building on Ethereum in the long term, I feel like it, it presents a, a more unique value proposition than just like the, the, the pure open source software format. Where I feel like this gets interesting is 
I, in theory, yes. I feel like we will mature to this point. But there have also been interesting moments where two things are happening. One, the market doesn't accurately price in some of those things. I know this has been a big conversation in loot in that whole ecosystem. But the other weird thing is that you have markets, period. Where with (laughs) loot, for example, there were like several people who came in in the very early stages of loot who Uh had a lot of loot or had a lot of adventure gold, which for anyone who doesn't know, Loot is this NFT from Dom Hoffman, and Adventure Gold was an airdrop that came with it, like the currency of the loot ecosystem. But a lot of people didn't want to have more loot minted or do any of these things that would basically hurt their financial stake. And so I feel like what we start to get is this weird combination of open freedom to create and build in a composable way, and also people holding their bags so tightly and not wanting there to be abundance, which feels challenging to navigate. And maybe it's Mm. just because we're so early and things will mature, but I'm curious how you think about that. That is a gnarly one for sure. (laughs) I think that, okay, so first thought, I think that we'll graduate. And I was against this for a long time. My co-founder Jacob has definitely brought me around to the other side, but like, I think we'll graduate out of the 10K PFP project and we'll start to see, you know, larger available supplies for for NFTs and mints and collections drops. I think Adam Bomb is doing that with the 20K, et cetera. And so I think that we'll increase the amount of abundance that we see. 1155 as a standard helps to make this more gas efficient in a way. I think that, you know, seeing the success of drops like the Adidas drop and then hitting one ETH at a floor is pretty impressive as well, given that they have, I'm pretty sure it's 20 something thousand owners, which I guess is on par with Adam Bomb. I digress. Whole point is I think we'll see larger supplies for collections, which will increase the amount of distribution. There's way more people buying Jordans than there are Basie. And then on the second point regarding people not wanting inflation in their token supplies or wanting to protect their financial interests, I think that's just like people learning to have ownership interest. And that is like almost a net new experience for a lot of people on the internet or in Web3 ecosystems. I shouldn't say on the internet because people have that when they're trying to sell physical goods on StockX and stuff. But I think even in that case, you speculate a little less on maybe the upside. And especially when you've already experienced a bit of upside and you're unwilling to sell, you're just like, oh, it's almost like hopium in a way, right? Like, I think it's going to thousand X for sure. (laughs) Don't mint no more, dog. Like, I feel like that whole narrative in the space dissuades people from selling. Secretly, your friends are selling. (laughs) Your favorite influencer is selling. That's what they don't tell you. But um, again, I digress. So I think that that's early experiences of ownership interest. As people dive deeper and have more of these experiences, I think that uh, they'll be more open to greater distribution, inflation, et cetera. And also that ownership interest is breeding ground for the governance conversation. And I think NFTs secretly, or maybe under the hood, what we haven't seen yet is like they actually have this kind of, it's almost more of a DAO mechanism than even a fungible token, holding a bag of tokens. And I think because your NFTs, I think Sam Bankman-Fried said this uh, earlier this week, like they represent part of your identity. You feel like this intrinsic connection in a way in a lot of cases where you don't want to part with it or it's harder to part with it. So I think adding new actions on top of what you do with that identity, i.e. voting and participating in a DAO like Nouns DAO or even something smaller and emergent like Head DAO or Goop DAO or whatever, like I think that's where we'll start to see it be okay 
to one, have more people voting with you, but two, to also have a way to express that ownership interest in like actionable proposals that can then translate into decisions that will guide the project. And so I think it's actually healthy that people feel that way and like providing more ways for them to actually vote and to for communities to action those votes, I think is important because that means you care. Like if you don't want people to inflate your supply, what I'm reading there is that you care. And whether that's a financial care or if that's a reputational care, whatever it is, you really care about the project. And so you should be able to express that care and concern. No different than we do at DAOs. Yeah, it's so interesting because I feel like we really haven't been taught ownership. I was thinking about this earlier this week. A lot of people, like if you look at the global sample size, uh-huh. haven't been taught how to be owners of something that they use, especially in a digital world. Yes, we're taught to be owners of things in the physical world, but it does kind of feel like when you're like at a computer or online, your brain changes at least a little bit uh-huh. to not actually fully comprehend that you own something because we've just never been taught that. So this shift towards thinking about NFTs, which feel like they have a much richer context around them, feels like a much better way to like navigate ownership. But I do kind of wonder, like, is there a difference between caring financially and caring emotionally? And is it worth distinguishing between those things or not? Like, I feel like sometimes people have financial interests masked as emotional interests, not because you mean to, but because it just like you have a very visceral reaction to something and you don't know why. Like it's almost like, do we need more self-awareness in the context of ownership? Because now we not only have feelings, but we also have power to assert those feelings on the things that we own. And that feels different a little bit. 100%. 100%. So I I do think they are like the financial interests that you have and the emotional interests that you have are totally different. I think Web3 and crypto, particularly in like DAOs and those silent ecosystems, it, it feels like those are those lines are getting blurred. Like the overlap in those interests, I feel like is increasing and the velocity at which they overlap is also increasing. And so I guess I say that to say that as it gets increasingly hard for us to distinguish between what is financial and what is emotional in this world of like hyper financialization and wealth creation in web three. I think, okay, here it is. I think what you're seeing in recent weeks is actually a response or backlash against what feels like an over indexing or an over rotation towards financial interests. And I think we've seen that in sort of January's almost like call to arms from a integrity perspective across the space, if you will. You saw a lot of communities having some pretty tough conversations around leaders of those communities. And I think a lot of that was both emotional and financial. And it was interesting to see that play out. I, I, just thinking aloud here, like I don't, I don't know exactly what the destination for this sort of intertwining of financial and emotional interests. I don't know if the destination is just politics and crypto just turns into this weird political narrative, single party issue kind of thing, or if it is like grounds for some sort of, which I think it is like net new form of collective ownership and conversation and creation. But I think that we're starting to see some of the friction points 
And we're at one of those inflection points for our space where high integrity emotional leadership over just financial leadership and high integrity soft skills over just like execution skills are starting to really have weight and gravity in communities. I think as a meta point, it feels like NFTs and uh, DAOs have brought a lot of humanity into crypto at a time when DeFi made everything feel hyper-financialized and transactional. And I think just by proxy of having so many new and fresh perspectives from the humanities side of things, we've now opened the door for a conversation around how that type of, or that archetype of leader, or how that type of brand, or how that type of thinking can lead in our space. It felt like for a time that we lost a bit of that. I think that we may have attributed some of it to, like we, we may have given some of that praise to some of the amazing devs, but I don't know if they were the same type of emotional leaders that we needed during some of the DeFi crazes. But I think now with such a personal connection between project and owner or collector or artist and collector, it just feels like we're at a time where like you can have that discussion around emotional leadership um, and sort of the intangibles being a uh, driver of our space. I love that take on what's happening because it feels like a very healthy, not necessarily even like correction in market fundamentals or whatever people talk about, but like actually culture and the way that we think about a lot of these things, which Mm -hmm. for me kind of brings up something that you tweeted about that resonated with me that I think is very much related to this, which is this idea that perhaps once we move beyond this world of needing to worry about money, we sort of have this moment of like transcendence and being able to move from basically like making money for ourselves and doing things for ourselves to doing things for humanity, which I Uh loved. I'm curious like where that thought came from. And then I want to talk about some of the the like paradoxes in that with the hyper-financialization piece. But first, I want to hear where that thought came from. Yeah, for sure. So last year, I experienced probably the largest windfall in my life, definitely, which was the Coinbase IPO. And I think a lot of people around me experienced a similar windfall, as well as all of my friends who were in NFTs or who were in Web3 or who were in crypto, like during a bull market when everybody's winning, it feels like there's just an abundance of money. And I feel like that broke a lot of people's, at least for me personally, it like broke my brain in a way where I realized, wow, you can think about doing so much more and you can have so much more impact. It feels like when you don't have capital constraints or when you don't even have mental models of capital constraints. And I was like, wow, it feels like such a privilege almost to be able to ponder on like the more large scale societal things that we can do and build when I don't have to worry about the day-to-day or like month-to-month or week-to-week expenses, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you see that like with a lot of the wealthiest and most impactful builders in our space, like, I, like or, or just period, right? Like they give back to charity. They want to do like societal endeavors or whatever. But I think you also see a contrast to that, right? Where it's like we have shit like the space race or whatever, which like to each their own, you want to do that. I'm not here to tell you what and what not to do with your money. I just think the rainforest and planets and shit is cool too and like other <laughs> stuff like that. So I just think there's a lot of worldly pursuits that we could have. And I think that's what you society at large kind of calling our wealth holders to start to think about a bit more. And I think that their intentions, while they may be 
Oh, I think you said earlier, actually, Chase, it was like, they have financial interests that are massed in these emotional or societal tenants. And I think like what we're calling out is, hey, can you rip some of that to the side and actually really care for society and do things for us in the here and now? And so the more and more that I've seen wealth get created in our space, the more and more that I've seen people who didn't have a lot go to having a whole lot more than they know what to do with, the more I see this conversation topic coming up, right? Um, Like, how can we do more for one another? How can we build more for one another and create societal flywheels that like make us all successful at large and give us all the type of independence and economic freedom that I think the space like pursues. That being said, it doesn't always play out like that. (laughs) You know, I think you see a lot of people just getting more and more degenerate and just pumping the casino as high as they can pump it. And we get fewer hyperstructures than I would like to see today. But I think the future is still bright. This is something that I feel like I just see both sides of. Yeah, exactly. Completely, where it's like there are definitely even moments in myself where I'm like very much about like, okay, we're going to optimize yield. I'm going to do this. I'll spend way too much time in DeFi. And then I'm like, no, that does not make sense. Like, and very much (laughs) moving towards like an abundance mindset. And so it's been interesting to see that. I feel like a lot of people in the space have probably experienced those Mm -hmm. two mindsets. And it's interesting too, because like, there's no objective truth of what is enough. Facts. People living in different areas. I know that they're like poverty thresholds globally and things like that. And I believe that there's research showing that below a certain threshold, more money does make you happier and better off. But after a certain point, it's like you're just changing what enough is for you every time you make more money. And mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting mindset that we, we've we in some places in the space adopted, and in some places we're trying to move towards abundance. And those things both exist very much in the space, which is kind of interesting to watch. When you have these crazy moments of wealth accumulation, I feel like there's like a progression from preservation, which gets misconstrued as like also growth, you know, and yield, which like, I feel like in the DeFi space, to some extent, there are like these narratives from influencers at times when it's like, you know, getting basic yield on your stable coins is like, what are you, a plebe anon, right? There's all (laughs) these crazy ass narratives. And it's like, yo, earning like 7% on your stable coins is amazing. And it's killing literally any bank. It's okay to just be a little more basic, right? But it's like the space has created this tone or has set this like tone of if it ain't degenerate, crazy ass triple the market gains i ain't with it and i'm like that is so toxic and dangerous (laughs) like it it leads people to be parts of riskier organizations at times when they don't have the capital or the appetite to take on said risks you know what i'm saying it gets hyperbolic and it, it actually preys if you think about it it preys on a lot of the people who don't have right the people who are trying to make this instant come up the people who are putting their $10,000 life savings into like it preys on them in a way that's very manipulative and extractive. And I think we need to be careful of that. And like equally careful of narratives around, we should have known what you was getting into, Anon. It's Web3, baby. Like that's like, you know what I'm saying? Like that kind of shit is like, don't go to that neighborhood if it's dangerous, Jimmy. I'm like, well, maybe neighborhoods should be safe. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, like risk-free or mitigated in a way. I don't know. I'm not out here calling for regulation, but I just think the 85,000% APY, come change your life and buy a Lambo narrative. (laughs) 
<laughs> is dangerous at times. <laughs> oh, 100%. And to your point, like, I do think that there's not a lot of conversation around people like taking gains and taking care of themselves, which is definitely a challenge. People are just like not open and honest about those things. And that's one of those things where it's just like culturally feels like a shift that we need to have. It's weird. I wonder, you've been in crypto for a while. Do you feel like that is the same or more or less prevalent than it was in like DeFi summer and years before? Oh, good question. Man, it's so interesting because I feel like NFTs have changed a lot of the dynamics there. I think when you like, so in DeFi summer, a lot of the influencers, like if I were, <laughs> if I think back to DeFi summer and like the Wi-Fi days and stuff like that, I just remember it's not DeFi God, it's DeGen Spartan. I just remember him constantly putting out like, psyops borderline threatening tweets that he might dump on you or that you oh, might God. get dumped on yeah like it was and like these are whales right and like they're the people you're learning to trade from and it's like just know anon today might be the day you get dumped on and i'm like yo that shit is kind of scary i mean at least they're saying it though oh, exactly right so i think they kind of instilled a bit more fear <laughs> at least into me as like a participant i was like yo this is these guys out here really might manipulate a market and just dump on me and it might tank. And it happened. Like I saw it happen once or twice. I was like, yeah, I lesson learned. I think in NFT markets, it feels like there's a little, you don't really have as much of that. And I think again, to SBF's point, to the point around identity that we mentioned earlier, like to the like community access of the, like culture side, like we haven't really seen a lot of people like dumping an NFT collection per se. I think probably the loudest example of that may have been like like 4156 selling off his punks and moving into nouns, which I think was honestly just a philosophical decision for a project that he was founding too. He was like, yeah, I think this is the better move. I'm going with my project, which I, is totally good. But I, I don't think we see as much of that. And I think some of the influencers this time around, whether that's like a DC investor or somebody like, like they give advice for like, hey guys, like if you can get life-changing gains, like if you could be in... A, a really nice apartment, but you in a really tiny studio and you got a wallet full of JPEGs, sell a JPEG for a house. Mm -hmm. like I got way more tweets like that this time around than I feel like I did with DeFi. Also, totally different in like investor type here. Like the people who were participating in the DeFi ecosystem were way, it, they're probably retail investors to some extent, but they were way less like, I like this picture then <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, hell yeah, penguins, I want to get in. Like then the more heady folks who are trying to like fucking yield farm bananas or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. It's interesting too, because it feels like in the world of NFTs, to your point about identity, it's very much a signal if you buy a punk versus a board ape versus a crypto coven, you're signaling your identity, your values, the types yeah. of communities that you like to other people. So it, if it, those are like shitty people, that doesn't feel good. Yeah, facts, big facts, big facts. But it's like also, it's like you send those same signals when you wear uh, Balenciaga or Chanel, or if you choose to buy sustainable brands, etc. I think it's interesting that we're seeing, I don't want to call it like just conscious consumerism because I don't even know if I'm using that right, but like we're seeing more thoughtful alignment with projects now because of the identity expression in the NFT ecosystem. And I feel like because it's happening for NFTs, it's happening in crypto, which is pretty exciting. 
Yeah, there's definitely been also, it feels like, a little bit of a shift towards more open conversations as new people come in about this type of cultural shift. What was normal, quote unquote, a year ago is definitely not normal now or Mm -hmm. just gets a lot more opinions in the mix of being like, this is actually not something that I think we should be building Web3 on top of. Now we have more artists. We have a lot more, I feel like, philosophers and people thinking about these things, which has been really interesting. It feels like it changes part of the conversation. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, like, again, it's like the humanity of it, right? If you think about like academia, right? Like the humanities as like branch of study or field of study. I feel like we've now brought a lot of that into what was previously a very like objective analytical type of environment. And so you have these philosophers, artists, and not only that, those people are also accumulating wealth in the ecosystem. And so to even the OG participants from four or five years ago, they matter, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're able to now have impactful opinions and influential outlooks on the space at large as large Ethereum holders. Look at what PAC did, absolutely tore it up. And I think he's now like a titan in the Ethereum ecosystem in a lot of ways and and innovates in the like Ethereum ecosystem in a lot of ways. And so I think it's kind of cool that because of this explosion and success for NFTs, we've now seen wealth cap like value capture and wealth creation for a whole group of people who can now look eye to eye with some of the DeFi bros and titans and be like hey society matters humanity matters and like you can't outweigh me as just a bag holder because we got equally as big bags or i'm making equally as influential projects yeah Um, that's the other thing too i think is like a lot of these people have become the brands that the newest wave of Web3 people have started to follow and Mm -hmm. care about. And so it's also like the, I don't really love the idea of like social capital because I don't even think that's what it is. It's like trust and guidance is coming from some of those newer people. And it's really against the interests of some of those DeFi titans to like, you know, shit on these people or just not really accept that because that's what's best for the ecosystem, which is kind of a cool dynamic. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. And these people, like many of them have been burned by the over-financialization of the creative industry. And so like they're bringing in like real tangible experiences to reflect on and to contrast like they're now emerging independent success to say like, hey, like there's a risk that DeFi could do to these amazing and budding NFT like crypto ecosystems, what the corpse did or the banks did to some of the like creative or entertainment, blah, 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 blah industries. Like I think that meta risk is starting to be a conversation topic. And I think it's something that I think I'm, I'm pretty excited that there's, it, it feels like at large, perhaps DeFi missed an opportunity with NFTs. And I think like an opportunity to innovate with NFTs. And I think this sort of narrative and conversation and now this meeting of the minds is like, fertile ground for how like these two branches of web three can collaborate going forward, which will definitely happen. Like it's just, hopefully it happens with the right stewardship. And maybe for the better, ultimately to your point about having people who have been burned before, I feel like one of the big things that we sometimes forget is like 
a lot of the patterns that we're experimenting with have already been done yep. and we know the consequences of them. It's just that we sometimes act like we're re- just like completely doing new things and reinventing the wheel. Totally. And so I feel like having people who do have that experience now, of course, like there's probably a whole other conversation about not bringing that trauma into mm-hmm. products, but <laughs> yeah. I do think that acknowledging it and being aware of it and being able to like I know Latasha is at Zora, but I had her on the podcast like a while ago and she was talking Go. about NFTs as healing. She is amazing and such like a, a steward for what it means to move into this space with this healing mindset, acknowledging mm. what's been done in the past, but also creating a different world. And she yeah. to me is like very much the embodiment of what can be done in that sort of regard. Yeah. I just have the most respect, appreciation, and love for Latasha. Like, I am inspired by everything that she's able to achieve on the daily in our ecosystem. I'm on a Zoratopia chat later with the community. I'm super excited for that. It's just amazing. And I think we're starting to see more and more successful, let's call them non-traditional Web3 personalities build social cachet in our ecosystem. And it feels like, you know, NFTs kind of turned ETH into this like social currency in a way where like social capital in the form of Ethereum is accruing to some of the best artists and most influential collection creators, et cetera. And I think Latasha, Halik, Amir, Sirsu, they've all been amazing examples of that. I want to see more examples of that and even more social capital in the form of Ethereum flow in their way, because I think the larger the platform gets for them, the more rounded out our entire space gets. Um, which, which is something that historically we haven't had in our space, like a diverse set of leadership and voices and opinions. I think for a long time, it was a lot of just the same homogenous groups of kind of Web2 tech, even in a more narrow sense with the overlap of the financial sector in there. And so it's really nice that we're seeing this emergent group of new leadership as a result of like NFTs and the social capital that they aggregate on Ethereum. Oh, 100%. And coming with different perspectives, which to me is like what's wild. Like I was just talking to someone about how Crypto Cookout really laid the foundation for ownership as a social movement. And no one was doing that before. But like that was wild when you really think about that. And I think when you bring different perspectives and bring the ability to be like, hey, this actually, this system is fucked up and we're going to not only do something about it, but we're going to do something about it with the tools that Web3 uniquely enables. To me, that's like really what the evolution of Web3 looks like, not just like the DeFi bros trying to do NFTs, which then moves on to this, which, you know, is certainly not only DeFi bros. Like there's definitely a lot of diversity in the space, but not nearly as much as there needs to be. And I love this idea of social capital starting to accrue to people who are bringing in just a diversity yeah. of perspectives. Yeah, man. Shout out to Amir and just the whole crypto cookout and just the way that that rolled out. That was amazing. Shout out to Party Dow and Party Biff for helping us out with that too. They're an amazing partner. But yeah, just seeing the community rally around the opportunity to collectively own valuable things and to turn that into a flag for that community to then bear in the form of a profile picture and to like really express like the groundswell and desire from like really the long tail and underserved out like segments of the market to really participate in our ecosystem was exciting. I was definitely a part of it. I want to see more of those Um, just building more avenues for, you know, those groups in that community to, 
get some ownership and really participate in the upside of this ecosystem is exciting. Because a, a lot of times it's like asymmetric information too, right? Where like mm-hmm. there's a whole slew of people who just don't know what a lot of the most successful people in our ecosystem know. And so providing bite-sized opportunities or channels for them to onboard into the space, I think is really important. And Crypto Cookout really did that. Like otherwise people would just like, I can't own a fucking punk. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't give a shit about your multi-million dollar eight-bit picture. Anyway, I'm trying to buy lunch, dog. Like, <laughs> and I feel like this was an opportunity that, yo, you can get a piece of that eight-bit, like that multi-million dollar thing and get some upside on it. Like that, that felt, it felt special. I want to see more of that. I really think that was like historical. Like, I feel like we're going to look back on that and people are going to be like, oh, this was the blueprint for an entirely new type of movement. Look, and And no hate on Constitution Dow, no hate on what Pleaser is doing, but like they get all the press, you know what I'm saying? Like they get all the love and the shine, but that model I feel like, and granted they did a little different, they're real Dow's, but like I feel like the the essence of that model kind of started with Crypto Cookout, it felt like. Um, not the exact same implementation or form for those. Um, and I could get into like the, they use juice box versus the whole shit, but like, it felt like the essence um, of that collective creation to to own a thing was was very similar. Oh, 100%. No, I think that's completely true. Well, before we wrap up, I have a segment at the end of the show, which is what is your favorite thing in your wallet? Which I know is probably challenging, but it can be like an ERC-20, it can be an uh, NFT. You could have like <laughs> two. I know it's like asking you to choose your favorite child. This is a, uh, I'm excited. This is cool. So it's not my wallet. So I have an emerging collective, what I would hope turns into a DAO called Blequity, where we've been accruing capital into essentially what's going to like operate as a private foundation and DAO in order to create more avenues for underrepresented people. I'm Black, so I want more Black people particularly to participate in the governance of some of the more influential NFT ecosystems. One of which I'm most excited about is Nouns. And Nouns DAO, I think they have an amazing opportunity to have real world impact. And like, obviously it's starting with socializing the brand and stuff through the form of like advertising, Super Bowl commercial, Randy's Donut, that kind of jazz. And they're doing a skate park. Like I'm really excited about this group of people's outlook on making real world impact. And so I want to have more diverse voices at the table in guiding and stewarding that DAO. And so what I'm most excited about is the noun that is in blequity.eth. It took me ages to mint it. I had I actually minted it for the org or we minted it or whatever, which is super exciting. And then we picked up a second one recently as like a nounders noun to give us a little more sway. And so most excited about the nouns in the Blackwoody wallet for sure. Damn, that is really cool. And I will link the Blackwoody Twitter as well for anyone who wants to check it out and yeah, watch the the movement there. That's super cool. I love that. Well D, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DG underscore Goins, G-O-E-N-S. And you can find me and my community's random thoughts at blequity.eth or at blequity.dow. And yeah, that's me. And catch me on Zora, zora.co slash D. Beautiful. I will have all that linked. D, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so fun to chat. Hell yeah, this was great. Thank you, Chase. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcast day like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.